Welcome back to the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser. And this is Steph Smith. And today we're going to be talking about the best shit from 2022. All right, Cal, we're in 2023. If you could describe 2022 in one word, what would that word be? Tsunami. (laughs) Tsunami? (laughs) That's pretty dark. Well, tsunamis aren't always dark. Sometimes... Sometimes they kill a bunch of people and are one of the major natural disasters of the world. Yeah, I say tsunami because tsunamis are these big, I guess they're waves created by storms deep in the ocean. And sometimes they hit land and impact people, but sometimes they're just out in the ocean causing chaos. And I think in many ways, 2022, there's just lots of zigs and zags and surprising turns for me. And it resembled at least my experience being in the water and the waves of the ocean. Sometimes it's big like a tsunami and crazy and you don't know what's going to happen and you're fighting for your life. And then other times it's calm and still. And I think it was the experience of not knowing how big the tsunami was going to be and things ended up working out okay. You know how big waves are when a tsunami hits? They vary. There can be small tsunamis. In fact, we had a tsunami warning here and it ended up being only one foot waves. Was it one foot or wasn't it like one inch or something? (laughs) All I know is that there were surfers out on the day of the tsunami warning and the waves were not very big. That's actually pretty funny for people listening. We woke up at 1 a.m. to this, you know, that loud siren that only, I think only Apple can fire on your iPhone where it was like tsunami warning, be careful, stay away from the water. And meanwhile, we live like what? a two minute walk from the water. So I was like, oh my God, do we need to flee? And then we checked later and I think it was legitimately like one inch (laughs) or something like that. Point being, I guess tsunamis can be smaller than you think. Exactly. So it was like that. There's this tsunami warning at different points in the year and I didn't know how big or small it was going to be. And maybe as we talk through our different categories, we can unpack all of that. Okay. So let's dive in. We did a ton of categories last year, so we whittled them down to how many this year? Eight categories this year. The first category is best new idea. So for each of these, let's quickly just recap what we said last year. So best new idea, I said room, zoom, loom, which is really highlighting the difference between async and sync work. And you said... The child wealth grant, which is this idea of giving every baby $5,000, which is invested when they're born. What is your best new idea for 2023? So in 2022, I had a lot of random injuries and other health problems in a way that I wasn't able to solve quickly. And I started to feel my age, if you will. It was like, oh, I'm having these chronic things. And it was stopping me from doing what I wanted in life. And I think throughout the year, one of the things that I had to do was learn about my own body. So I went to doctors, I went to chiropractors, I went to physical therapists. I ended up finding this really good guy who practices something called active release therapy. I tried all kinds of stretches. I changed my diet in different ways. I tried new, you know, pillows and all kinds of things. And it so really was many a- pillows. <laughs> <laughs> it really was a year of learning about me and my body and my needs in a more granular way than I had done before. And I think the idea is just the power of learning about your body. 
I'm coming into 2023 with still some things I want to work on and solve, but I really feel like as it comes to preventing injuries and learning what foods do to my different cycles of being in the day, whether that's work or sleep, et cetera, I spent a lot of time learning about me and my body. And I think the advice that I would have is to take the time to do that because there is no generic prescription of things that any one person can do because I think we're all quite different. But that was, I think, the most valuable thing I did because it sets me up for success in the years to come across just feeling good and being able to do the things that I want, hopefully for a very long time. So Tsunami Cal is getting old and his idea of the year is to learn how to grow old effectively. No, I'm kidding. But I think I was reflecting on this last night, actually, how in school, we don't learn any of this. Like I took a PE class and I exercised, but I didn't really know how to set up a fitness routine of my own. Like they didn't teach me the fundamentals or I would take a nutrition class and they would teach me the food pyramid, which we've now realized is completely useless. But I didn't know basic nutrition. I truly still don't know pretty basic nutrition. I think it's crazy when you reflect on the fact that I'm almost 30, you just turned 30, and I still am lacking some pretty core learnings about just how to approach life. And I think the most interesting part of it for me is you don't know what you don't know. For example, for two years, I was obsessed with surfing, but I would get injured very often. And so I would have to spend like weeks out of the water and that would frustrate me. And I just thought, oh, my body isn't really set up for the sport in different ways. I have to keep going on the seesaw of pain and joy. And what I found is that I just actually had weaknesses in certain areas of my body. So for me, that was like my lower back, my glutes, and some of the flexibility in my body. And so I did routines for that specifically. And now my likelihood of getting injured while surfing at least so far, has been a lot lower by just focusing on these specific areas for this one activity I wanted to do. And instead, I could have just accepted the world of being in chronic pain, but it became deep enough where I didn't want to do that. And I think there's a lot of things where you don't know, is this just what it means to get older? Or is there something that I can do about this? And I think what I learned is that there are a lot of things that you can probably do more about than you think. Cool. What about you? That's no idea. You're the idea queen. So let's hear it. <laughs> well, now this is going to fall short, but I am actually choosing to piggyback on last year's idea, but present it in a little bit of a different frame because I actually think this frame is better, but it also maybe applies more widely. So it came from a podcast that I did recently in my new job, and I interviewed three different people on the future of work. And one of them was this guy, Darren Murph. He is the head of remote at GitLab. He just positioned async versus sync, asynchronous being when you don't need to be available at the same time as someone else to work versus synchronous means you need to be synchronous. You need to be working together to be able to jump on a call, etc. He positioned the two as the fact that people optimize work around the speed of knowledge transfer, the speed of it. How quickly can I tell you something? How quickly can I drop this information nugget from my brain to yours? which is, again, maybe through a call or someone having to be available on Slack versus the speed of knowledge retrieval. And so, again, speed of knowledge transfer is what most people optimize around. But if organizations and people can effectively pivot to the speed of knowledge retrieval, things may not be instantaneous, as in I may not be able to tell you 
hey, go do this thing right now. But you set up an organization or a system where information can be retrieved at any time. And the reason I think this is an interesting framework is it can be applied everywhere. I think Jack Butcher has a course where it's like, build once, sell twice. If you have an idea or if you have a skill, instead of constantly working with people to, again, take information in your head and apply it elsewhere, it's like, how can I document this? How can I set up a system where it lives on its own? Anyone can retrieve it at any time. And I think in general, I felt like I was really unproductive this year. And it's because I was constantly just doing tasks that were at hand. So again, the speed of information transfer instead of actually building things that could last on their own. So I think that was just like an interesting way of framing an idea. It sounds like just better documentation and processes. I mean, I guess you could say that, but I just see how much time is wasted in my day and other people's days when they don't have that, when they're just kind of running on a whim. Oh, I have to do this thing right now instead of how do I set this thing up so that I do it once and I never have to do it again. That actually reminds me a lot of what my job was in my last full-time employment, which was I went and figured out something new and it took me a couple of months to do that. And then my job really was to build like a basic set of processes and documentation to then be able to hire someone who didn't have to go figure it out. They had all the information that they needed and they could go then expand it from there. It was like getting that initial system off the ground. And so that was really useful within startups. But then I guess as companies get bigger, having more baseline documentation that isn't overly cumbersome for people so that they don't have to bug you at 6 p.m. to get the piece of information they need that, of course, leads to more speed in your work. Yeah, I think I talked about this maybe a year or two ago on a different podcast. I think there should be these chief automation officers where their job is literally to find the inefficiencies within organizations, root them out, and then fix them either through automation, through VAs that exist within the company. I think there's a lot of people whose jobs are effectively the result of just a lot of inefficiency, not because they're inefficient, but because the organization is inefficient at documenting or organizing processes and information. One quick example of this is we were just talking to a friend recently who said that in a previous job, he was building decks 75% of the time. I think most decks could be effectively translated into automated dashboards, in which case, if they're done well, you never have to build a deck again. That job disappears if you're able to do that effectively. All right. Our next category is best new life hack. So last year, you said saying no to contract work, which I think was important for you. You had a bunch of opportunities and you just focus on your core things. And then for me, as a good Huberman lab disciple, I said getting sunlight in the morning. Actually, I've been thinking about how funny it is, how many people listen to the Huberman Lab podcast, which if you don't know what it is, it's just a health-focused podcast that has really become mainstream. The whole world has been captured by one man who just says, go outside and get sunlight. That we are living in a world where that is like a revolutionary thing that millions of people now listen to and blab about all over the interwebs. I know he says more than that, but it really boils down to this core thing, go get sunlight and you'll be better off for it. I mean, that really is the 80-20 of that podcast. I feel like I stopped listening to episodes because he kept delivering value, but I realized that I would not action anything past the sunlight thing. So I was like, I got what I need. But it's also a reflection of what I said before, which is why was that not taught in school? I feel like that's such a simple learning that we should have known since grade one. But now 
because it wasn't taught, it skyrocketed Mr. Huberman into a lot of fame. I think he's really popular now. Yeah, I think it's not just that it should be taught in school, but it's how do we live in a world where we say we're progressing so much and we're doing all of these great things and we we're so misaligned with our basic biological needs that we don't get enough sunlight. You know what I mean? Like it's like our world is kind of working against our biology. And let's not go too deep on this, but basically I think many preventable health issues are people not being attuned with their biology and setting up their lives in ways that are just really going against how our systems are programmed. Anyways, that's not this category. The category is best new life hack. And so why don't you kick us off? Okay. So I have one that's a little bit of a joke and then one that's less of a joke. The first one I say is a joke because most people will laugh. But for me, my best new life hack truly in 2022 was learning to drive and having access to a car. It sounds silly, but we've lived in Encinitas for three years. And I think for roughly the first year, I had access to a bicycle, like a traditional bicycle. The second year, I had access to an electric bicycle. And then just recently, I've had access to a a car. (laughs) And I've got to sequentially go through the upgrades in technology. And most people have had a car for a very long time. But the other day, I went by myself driving in this car on a route that I typically did with the electric bicycle and even once did with the traditional bicycle. And it was just kind of amazing to see how quickly I could get places and how efficiently I could get things done. And again, I'm saying this is a little bit of a joke because everyone else has had access to this for so long. But at age 29, this really was an amazing life hack. So if there's anyone left that still doesn't know how to drive, that was afraid of it like I was, go for it. And then the real one that I want to illustrate. Well, before you get to the real one, I want to say it sounds like you were somehow not able to access a car. Like you were, you were <laughs> just to make it clear, you did not know how to drive. And so you spent this year learning that skill with a permit. It wasn't that you didn't have access to a car. Okay, so true. But to make this tangible for other people, even if you know how to drive, I think this is a nice little reminder that technology is awesome, that you have access to this car that can get you from A to B so quickly. Take this from someone who took 29 years to have this in their life. Technology, like cars, just game-changing life hack that I guess people discovered earlier on. Wow. I guess maybe the real hook, if you're telling other people why to listen to this podcast, you'll hear interesting insights like cars are really useful. (laughs) Cars are good. All right. I actually think that should be your main life hack. I don't know what was second, but I'm going to go ahead because I don't think that's a joke. It actually has been something that has been really helpful for you. And also me too. I had to drive you around for you were my <laughs> chauffeur. I was a chauffeur for many years. And now we can actually split those duties, which is amazing. Okay. So what's your life hack? So mine is couples therapy. Earlier this year in preparation for getting married and just making sure we had all the kinks worked out in our relationship, we hired an awesome therapist who we've talked about on this podcast before. But I think that really geared me and you up to getting married and working through some of our Uh, sticky issues and becoming aligned on all things in life, whether that's where we want to live, how we think about money, how we deal with different types of conflict. And we're certainly not perfect in those domains, but we now have this person that we continue to work with who's like a partner by our side 
in this one area. And I think that has been amazing in many ways, but it expands more generally to this idea of hiring experts or people who can help accelerate your skill acquisition or progress in different domains. And I think that at least for me, would be things like hiring a trainer to help you improve your workout efficiency or hiring a dietitian instead of trying to figure out nutrition by just sifting through the web. My new nutritionist is <laughs> ChatGPT. That sounds like one of those tongue twisters. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And actually, you stole my legitimate life hack for the year, which was paying for experts. And so this year, there were three examples of that for me. One of them was therapy, like you mentioned. The second one was a driving teacher <laughs> for my other life hack. And then the third, which was, I think, actually potentially the most psychologically helpful for me, which was hiring a good cross-border accountant. I had one before. They were really unresponsive. And so just finding someone, again, who's an expert in a space, especially spaces that you feel like you don't understand well, is just such a game changer. And of course, I'll acknowledge that you can't always hire experts, especially if you're not financially in a place to do so. But when you are, like this is where you should be spending your money. Working with these people has been so much better than trying to finagle these things on my own. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of the big themes of like how to get the most out of this next phase of life. Once you have a little bit of extra disposable income and an idea of what you want to do, I think one idea that comes to mind for me is surfing. I spend so much time doing it and trying to improve. And I've never hired a coach outside of when I was first beginning. And I really think I probably could have shaved years off of my progression timeline by just hiring someone for a couple of sessions. And it's almost unbelievable to me that I haven't. And it's not even that expensive. So I think if it's important enough, find a way to hire a coach. And I've had a lot of resistance to this idea in different ways. But you can just think of it like every star athlete has coaches across all domains of their life, whether that's their health, their training etc. Probably their psychology too. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. I think maybe one other framing on that is that we spend most of our lives trading time for money. And at some point, you need to reverse that. Like You shouldn't just be trading time for money so that you can buy stuff like items. And some people say, okay, buy experiences. But actually, I think one of the most effective uses of the money that you got through trading your time is to buy time back. And in areas where you truly would just be going down the internet rabbit hole, or in your case with surfing, just watching yourself on a surf cam by yourself for hours and hours, it's like, where can you find those big deltas where you can just pay for someone's one hour of time, which really was the accumulation of like 10,000 of their hours? Yeah. And I think the big unlock there is even if you put all of your effort into something, if you're not working on the right things within that domain, whether it's surfing or your relationship, you may not be making any progress because you're just focused on the wrong things. And that's where experts, if they're good teachers, know how to break things into their core components and say, oh, like you're doing really well on all this stuff, but there's this one little thing. And then that one little thing ends up being like this massive unlock for you. And you didn't realize how big it was. Totally. Speaking of experiences and things, our next two categories are best new experience and best and worst purchase. So let's start with experiences. Mine last year, looking back, was getting engaged. And we'll get to yours, but I just think it's funny because my best new experience of this year is getting married, <laughs> which is hilarious because maybe I'm more traditional than I thought. But I guess I, I won't dwell on 
getting married too much in this episode because we have a full episode on it. But I guess my takeaway from that is who knew it could be fun? I think a lot of people knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, specifically the wedding, not the marriage itself. Oh, yeah. I think we found a way to have a, a good wedding for us without too much of the time and other things that typically go into a wedding. I think that was an unknown for us, whether we could do that. Yes. Okay. So let's recap your best new experience from last year and what you got for 2023. So mine from last year was going to Alaska, which is where we got engaged. But it was really just I thought Alaska was this really cool thing. And we had been decompressing after creating our course doing time right. And I thought it was a really good way to like unplug and have a good time. And I think it's funny that we basically talked about the same experience, except yours was the getting engaged and mine was just going to Alaska and enjoying the experience. I don't know if we <laughs> we said that just to have some variety, but that was a parallel from last year. And this year, I wanted to not go on the marriage train because I figured you would probably say that. And it was coaching middle school golf. I had an abundance of free time this year. And I think free time is great, especially if you don't have it, something you crave and you definitely need a baseline level of it. But I had almost too much of it. And so I had really unstructured days where I'd be unproductive and beat myself up for not being more productive or enjoying my time as much as I could with as much as I had. And I decided to volunteer with the Boys and Girls Club and started coaching middle school golf for one of the local middle schools here. And so I led a team of seven kids and it just ended up being a really rewarding way to spend three days of my week for a few months. And even on bad days, I showed up and it was really just fun to be hanging out with just these youths, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hanging out with the youths and learning about the TikToks and stuff like that. And it was great to be able to rekindle the flame with golf, which was a sport that I played growing up. Yeah. I think what's interesting is that I've also started playing soccer again, which you could say was an equivalent for me to your golf. And there's few things that I enjoy more. There's just something about the things that you did in childhood that you got really good at. There's like an element of nostalgia, but I also think it just feels good to be in your element. And of course, you could get there with a new skill in adulthood, but I think there's just something so nice about like just dropping back in to something that you used to do so much. Yeah. And it was great to be able to, at least it was my first time coaching anything. And it's a really hard skill. Being a good coach is difficult. I think I was way too easy on the team and I really wanted to be liked by the the youth since so I was probably too affable. And, and just, I think that wasn't actually the right approach as a coach. There's a line that you need to draw and I found it really difficult, but I was really able to empathize with the kids and, and the plight that they were going through with golf in particular, because it was such an important part of my childhood. And it was just, it was really fun to be able to do that. And actually more importantly, I think a lot of people talk about doing good things in the world or trying to have impact at scale or helping other people. And I'm not going to claim that this was anything but just me showing up for a couple of weeks with these kids and maybe they'll remember it, maybe they won't. But I think it was a way where I could tangibly interact with the world and with my community in a way that I think was positive and helpful. And that made me feel really good and hopefully had a little bit of positive impact along the way. But it just got me away from this idea that I need to like really scale my impact or anything like this. And that impact, I think, ultimately starts with small actions and community engagement. And this was just a natural way for me to do that, that I personally found a lot of value out of. Yeah. Just one quick note on the idea of being a coach. I think as I get older, I'm encountering all these things where I saw people doing them and I was like, oh, like I could do better 
I could be a good coach. Or as you watch interviews online, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, I could interview that person better, or I would have come up with good questions. But as you start to do these things, there's all these little things that you never thought would be difficult. And so for interviewing, for me, it's been knowing when to interrupt people. And I think I was reminded of that when you were like, I should have maybe been a little harder on the kids. It's like really hard to find that, I guess, sweet spot. Yeah, I think it takes time though. The way that I think about this, as with you being an interviewer, that's a pretty new skill for you. It's a new job. And the same is true for me being a coach. Like, do I expect my first season as the middle school golf coach of this local team to be the best ever? No, absolutely not. Like it would take 10, 20, 30 years. And that's what makes the greats the great. They kept going and little by little, they got on their style and way of doing it after making all the mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I guess I am just realizing that people, including myself, can be really dismissive. Like what's that saying? Those who can't do teach. I think I'm just realizing as I get older, there are so many things that I thought were not that hard. And then once you actually get into them, you're right. It's like, it takes so long to really master them. 100%. Shall we go to the next category, which is best and worst purchase? Yes. So my best purchase last year was my e-bike. And my worst purchase, this doesn't make much sense, but it's what I got in the document. It's watching <laughs> the market. I guess it was just like investing in things that I had no idea about. And yours was? Mine from last year, best purchase was the Aura Ring, which is a sleep tracker. And then the worst was similar to you, just markets and specifically buying options and trades and other things that caused me lots of emotional pain and financial pain. And that looking back even a year from now, Silly, silly, silly. Silly, silly, silly. I think a lot of people are feeling that way. So this year, my best purchase was an experience that we've been doing a lot more of, which was going to comedy. We saw Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, but we've also just gone to a handful of shows this year. And I feel like I never feel bad about the money we spend on comedy, except maybe <laughs> we went to a show recently, which was like the worst comedy we've ever seen. But other than that, <laughs> that, was, that was something <laughs> that was an outlier for sure. Other than that, I never feel bad about the money I spend in that realm. And there are many other things that I spend money on. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Well, that might fit for your worst purchase. What was your worst purchase? My worst purchase was everything else. <laughs> it's just all the stuff that I've spent money on that just, I mean, we're going to do an episode on this next, so let's not dive into it too much, but it's just like, it overwhelms you. It weighs on you. You need to get stuff for your stuff. And <laughs> we used to live out of backpacks. So I've just really been reflecting on this recently. And I feel like my worst purchase is just buying too much stuff. It's all of it. Oh, that's a nice prelude to our next episode. But in the meantime, let's keep it positive and cheerful stuff. You're going down a dark rabbit hole there. Let's go with my best purchase, which is I love coffee. And I've dabbled with like ordering higher quality coffee grounds and stuff like that. But this year, I bought a high quality espresso machine. It's a Breville Barista Touch. Breville is a pretty decent brand. It's probably not the best of the best. But basically... Now, all we have to buy is good espresso beans. And at home, we can make high quality lattes. And for me, that's been a really lasting quality of life improvement. I think we've had it about a year. 
And I'm not at all sick of this purchase. I love making the lattes. I love having my caffeine. I probably drink more caffeine now, so that's not good for the system. But it is, it's just a joy to have good coffee in the home. And that's my form of good coffee. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It did get me hooked on coffee for the first time in my life. But in 2023, I have weaned off of it. So what's your worst purchase? I'm thinking it's all of the alcohol I've bought. I don't want to <laughs> oversell how much I drink or anything like that. But I do think there were too many nights where I maybe had one to three drinks and it just probably wasn't necessary. It ended up resulting in sluggishness and mental fog or slight agitation the next day that makes you less productive or less patient with your partner or just less focused on your goals. And I, I really think that, you know, with alcohol, I don't really binge drink, but I do probably drink more frequently than I'd like. And this has been a theme in my life for a while. And and this is something that I still haven't figured out entirely, but I, I do think that I spent too many days in a little bit of a mental fog state that wasn't good for my overall productivity or sense of well-being. And I question the value of some of those experiences because at least for me, like drinking can still be a good time. But then if you suffer the next day, I really do like the idea that dr drinking alcohol is like trading your future happiness for your current happiness. Mm -hmm. That's a, a good way to think about it. All right. So less alcohol this year? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to best worst trend. Last year, my best trend was the adoption of remote work, I guess the acceleration of it. And then my worst trend was all the scammy investment vehicles. What was yours? My best trend was I thought Web3 and all of its subcomponents was an interesting way for engaging people with new incentives like airdrops and stuff. A lot of that has turned out to be the scammy investment vehicles, but I don't know. I think that I would still kind of hold that idea true. And then the worst trend is people engaging in zero-sum thinking and us-first-them thinking. Generally, just divisiveness of people. All right. Feels like that has not turned around, the divisiveness. What was your best worst trend for this year? So this year, while personally painful, I think the blow up in financial markets <laughs> was a actually a really good thing because I think a lot of things came out of this. One is people who have lost money in, by engaging in, say, not even just scams, but things that were just way overvalued, just getting caught up in this asset bubble or whatever. I just think so many people got swept in different ways. And I think a lot of takeaways from that once the pain resides is, you know, you're more mindful of where you put your money. You're not as consumed by FOMO. Maybe you're more focused on like eliminating excess in your life. I think that I've personally enjoyed being more creative to learn about how to be more frugal in my life. Are there areas where I can cut back without cutting back on the happiness in my life? Not just being frugal to be cheap and to take away from myself as some form of punishment. But anyways, I think this was a necessary reset. And I think people will ultimately come back a little bit stronger once they get through the pain. And we needed a little bit of that froth that was sitting on top of the latte to be wiped away so that we could see that beautiful flower petal, <laughs> that latte art under underneath. And the latte is still intact. I don't think the world is crashing down forever, but it is certainly a painful period and a good reset. And we're going to see that nice latte art coming through. <laughs> that nice latte art coming through. All right. What was your worst then trend of the year? I'm doubling down on last year's. I think 
just media in general and our ability to engage in digital echo chambers, I think that trend just keeps going down and further. And it's just, it leads to the fragmentation of people. And I think if I didn't say this last year, what I worry about the most is how people are lonely, they're angry, they're using more prescription drugs, and all of these things that I think in a world where we have so much abundance and joy and beauty, and one where there's, I think, more opportunity than there's ever been, you know, it's crazy to me that we're probably equally as happy or less happy than we have been in the past. And I think a lot of those problems can fade away if you just go outside and talk to strangers. If you feel yourself being like the world is crashing down or these all these crazy people doing bad things, I'm not saying that doesn't exist or that we shouldn't focus on those problems, but go out and talk to people. And I found that even people with wildly different beliefs than you are mostly good if you engage people in good faith and are just a good person yourself. Yeah. And it can be lucrative. Some of the top TikTok or Instagram accounts right now are these people who just walk around New York or wherever they live and they ask strangers about a subject. One guy does it where he basically asks to like tour their apartment. He asks them how much they pay and then you get to see what they get for it and you just get to meet all these characters. And then I saw another girl recently who's blown up where she basically just asks people how much they make. She's all about pay transparency and it's fascinating. Like you get to see all these different jobs that people work and just huge disparities in what people make and how they think about it. And it's a really good TikTok channel, but also, yeah, I think those people are probably pretty happy because they get to just see all the depths of human existence and what's going on there. Awesome. What is your best and worst trend? So I'm going to just group these together because I think like you, things are shifting. Worst trend is still that I think there are tons of creators who have sold out. They come in different forms. I think it could be creators that were shilling shitty products. It could be people who don't like the things that they're posting, but they want to play some game that they know works. So I guess one one example of this is you could say Threadboys out there. They still exist. I think they're dwindling, but I just, I wish there were more people that put stuff out there that they really believed in and created things that they were excited about rather than what they thought the market would want. And of course, I do that some of this stuff too. But I think one good framework that I heard recently was on My First Million where Sean said that he rates himself across five categories. And lots of people do things like this already, but one of them was self-respect. And I just think that if more creators rated themselves on self-respect, like, do I really respect the things that I'm doing? Do I want to tell my parents about this? Do I want to tell my kids about this in 20, 30 years? I think we just see way better stuff. And yeah, so that's, I guess, my worst. But what I will say is a trend that I do like, which fits with yours, is that I think part of the reason we got so much gunk over the last couple of years in many forms is just because things were frothy. And I'm not just talking about in the financial sense, but when things are frothy financially, you get more time to allocate how you want and you find yourself wasting a lot of it. And I think the same thing is true. It's like when things are going well, okay, I'll I'll read a bunch of threads that don't bring me any value. Anyone will, right? Like that, that time is not as much of the essence. But I think as things compress, people are forced to be more efficient in kind of every aspect of life. So I'm going to group those as I think things coming back down to earth 
will make people, I think, focus on better is probably not the word here, but different things. Wow. A lot of truth bombs in there. I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. All right. And I will just add, I think sometimes when I go on rants like that, people are like, well, Steph, you do some of this too. Of course I do. I'm not eliminating myself from that. But I do think that concept of self-respect is something that I try to remember. Okay. Next one is best personal win and accomplishment. And I want to start with this one because mine is hilariously bad. Mine was starting to angel invest from last year, which just like, what a great example that's emblematic of last year. (laughs) What was I doing? Angel investing, speaking to my prior best worst trend, like I should not have been angel investing. I think I angel invested in around 10 or so companies. Who knows how they'll do? All I can say is that I'm not angel investing in 2023. That one made me giggle when I saw it. (laughs) Okay. And then yours was? Mine was writing every day in November of 2021 because I finally got progress on a book and I actually made way more progress in a month than I thought I could. I actually think we should do an episode on what has gone on with your book because it's been a lot of ups and downs, but also I think representative of maybe what other people experience as they're trying to create projects like this. Yeah. Maybe it'll be a good therapy session that helps other people. (laughs) You're giggling because I guess (laughs) since then, not as much progress has been made. But anyway, let's move on to this year. Best personal win or accomplishment. What was yours? And by the way, for listeners, we haven't shared our thoughts with each other before this. So I'm hearing this live too. My best personal win, I think it was basically I did no contract work or any type of W-2 employment in 2022. And I was still able to make enough money from other projects and income sources that I have to, let's just say, pay the bills. And I think being a solopreneur came with lots of different challenges. And I had, I really think, too much time on my hands. And that led to like less progress in certain directions. But when I look back to when I started five or six years ago or whatever it was, the idea that I could make enough money to pay the bills mostly passively, like I would have been so stoked about that. And I think the tendency, maybe we talk about this in this episode about the book, but is to dwell on things that like didn't go well. But if I really look at this year, like the fact that I was able to make that happen was really good. And I had lots of time to spend time with family and you and to do travel and to just have a much more flexible, fluid life because of this thing that I had built after five years of work. Totally. I think this idea of the hedonic treadmill is important here. It also relates to my win, which is that I now get to podcast as my job at one of the leading venture capital firms and I guess that's a big win. Like I I think several years ago, if I had told myself this would be my job at the company that I'm working at now, Andreessen Horowitz, I would have been stoked and I am stoked. But I think to your point, it's really easy to just forget the things that you've accomplished and focus on where you're not succeeding. But I don't know. I think when I was going through my thoughts for this episode, I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I should be pretty proud of that. And I could have never predicted this even a year ago. So yeah, I think that's my best personal win for the year. I'm just noticing it's it's difficult to talk about personal wins. And I think that actually flows 
really well into my answer for the next category. Okay, so next category is number one goal for this year, 2023. Let's quickly recap. So our goals, <laughs> our goals for last year were to grow the podcast. That was my goal. Your goal was to write your book. I don't think we accomplished too much of either of those. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my number one goal for this year is just to, this sounds cheesy, but it really is to develop a more genuine form of self-love. And what I mean by that is I think I have this, and I think most people do, but this inner judge and critic that is just kind of mean to myself from like forgiving myself for past mistakes to being too anxious about the future or to feeling like things are really unsettled and ungrounded and wanting to piece those things together. I really do believe that a lot of that critic is not that useful in terms of helping me build the life that I want. And while you can't take it away entirely, there is like this underlying thing where just developing a better sense of self-love and pride and what you achieve and being okay with where you fall short and stuff like that. And I think maybe we talk about this in the book episode, but the book as a concept and as something I've worked on has been the area where I've probably been the most hard on myself and where that has certainly gotten in the way of that goal. So I think there's lots of things I want to achieve this year with like health and productivity and creative goals and friendships. We're moving to San Francisco this year. I really want to build like an amazing community there. And I think that is actually a part of this kind of self-love because we've been in relative isolation in Encinitas for a long time. And I think sometimes you can just sit in your own head and let that critic be too loud. Totally. I think that's really important because even though I just talked about this idea of creators really honing in and mastering their craft and creating only really amazing things, I totally know what you mean about your inner critic. And there's a place for it, but sometimes it can get so strong that it completely just destroys you and you're unable to create things anymore. Even though it's possible that the world loves what you're putting out there. There's just this anxiety that comes with creation over a period of time and the stumbling blocks that you inevitably go through. And I've been experiencing that with my new job to an extent. Everyone's been saying, great job, great job. But like the little things that I screw up on and really focus on are totally sticking with me for way longer than they should. And it's making the process less fun and by effect of making it less fun, I think I'm actually becoming a worse host. So I'm trying to like coming into 2023, just be like, what do you have to lose? Like, just go in, do the best you can, stop overanalyzing. And I think, I don't know, maybe we need therapy or something, but I totally agree that's something that can be really destructive. Yeah. What's interesting about this and what I think you might uncover in therapy is this inner critic and judge, it, it is a good thing. Like, it has a really good side as well. Like it's this little thing that sits on your shoulder that I think can protect you in different ways or push you to be better or push you to be the best version of yourself. But it's when it crosses over into being some sort of menace that prevents you from, I don't know, expressing yourself in the way that you want or feeling joy at the moments that you should. That's when it becomes destructive. And so two sides of the same coin, it can be a really great thing. It makes you a great worker, probably makes you have high attention to detail. But then on the flip side of that, you feel shitty about yourself and that's almost never good. So I don't know. Everybody's process with self-love is different, but I do think a lot of bad behavior and pain that people inflict on other people is a result of them you know, not loving themselves or not having their emotional house in order on the 
inside. And if you could teach everyone to just love the one and true only you, <laughs> you might be able to eliminate a lot of pain and suffering in the world. But you got to start with yourself. Totally. All right. So my goal for this year is to be more productive. Now, something important here. I am not saying working more because I work a lot and always have. But in 2022, I was really busy, but I don't think very productive. And I'm encompassing, obviously, my life outside of work here. I think I did a good job in my career, but I just think we traveled a lot. I wasted a lot of time, played a lot of online chess, which was enjoyable, but I did it in the name of, oh, I want to get better, yet was not studying the game, was not actually doing anything that would advance myself. And it reminds me of an article I wrote years ago. And it's funny because you have to reteach yourself things all the time. But I talked about this concept between what I think I called like meta versus absolute tasks, meaning you can run around all day, do groceries, do laundry, etc., And at the end of the day, be no closer to your kind of macro goals that you're trying to reach for the year. Or you could spend 30 minutes progressing towards a very concrete goal and actually make it further. And so my goal for this year is to seriously commit to producing at least one net new project that I'm proud of. And I think this also relates to the inner critic conversation we just had because I feel like I have been more critical of myself because I am not outputting things that I'm really proud of. So again, it's like I'm putting out a bunch of stuff, but since there's not one or two things that I'm, I feel like I'm truly advancing with, then I actually am not proud of the output. And I think I've actually talked about this in another lens before where I feel like when people experience burnout and I'm not an expert here, but from my own experience, it's because there's too much of a delta between the inputs that you're allocating to something and the respective outputs that are being delivered. It's not just the sheer amount of work. And I just I feel like last year was a lot of that. A lot of inputs, but not feeling good about the outputs. Damn, I thought you were going to say moving to San Francisco, making a good time out of that. I am excited about that. And that's part of the reason I very clearly said, be more productive, not necessarily work more. I don't need to spend more hours on things. I need to more thoughtfully allocate my time. And when I think back to 2018, when I think I wrote that article, maybe it's 2019, it was coming off the back of another year where prior to that, I felt very similarly. I felt like I was working hard, but not being productive. And what it took was choosing one very specific goal. And that year it was learning to code and then tracking every single day if I was spending time on that. That's what it took. It took that granularity of just what is your goal this year and are you moving towards it? And I think I just need to do something similar this year because I haven't been doing that. I've grown a little sour on quotes, but there's a quote, you know, efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right thing by Peter Drucker. And it sounds like where you want to be doing better is being effective. It's doing the right thing. You put your energy into, say, that net new side project, or maybe it ends up being something else this year that makes you feel more whole or complete in this domain. But I'd be interested to know, like, what is the output that is is not being fulfilled for you? Because you were remarkably productive on paper in your career and in other places. I think when I feel most 
as you said, whole. It's when I can pursue truly creative projects and finish them. So when I wrote my book, I felt really good about that. I had a I had an idea for something. Seven weeks later, it existed. When I had just learned to code, there was a period of maybe three or four months where I created four or five projects online. And these were just like seeds of an idea that I just really wanted to see come into the world. And I just was making things in my free time, not just in my career where I'm being told to do things. And I just feel like I haven't been doing that as much. And I don't think it's like I need to go build a billion dollar company to feel whole in this way. I just feel like I just feel like I've been busy and there's no there's no artifacts from that time period. No artifacts, huh? I guess another thing is it's kind of silly because some people listening to this will be like, well, like you said, you have a great job, you run a podcast on the side, you got to travel to all these places, you maintain like an active Twitter account that's growing. And like, yes, I, I guess there's many things to be proud of, but I, I don't know. There's something that I feel like went wrong in 2022 in that respect. See, but maybe it boils down to the same thing I'm talking about. You got that inner critic. You need that inner self-love for everything you've done. That might be the solution. I guess so. But I think my form of self-love for myself is producing things I'm proud of. All right. I think we can move on to the final category this year, which is our predictions. All right. So last year, I said that people would not just look to location independence as a new trend, as in people being able to live and work where they want, but also schedule independence. So that meant you take control of your calendar and again, work more asynchronously versus synchronously. I think I also mentioned sleep influencers, which has not come to pass yet. I still got time to be that sleep influencer. My prediction from last year was twofold. There was a positive thing and a negative thing. The positive thing was that the world would go back to normal as it related to COVID measures that had come into society. And I think that actually proved to be mostly true. It feels like everything opened up in different ways and we're dealing with this disease in a different way than we had the previous two years. But then there was the negative thing, which was I had a spooky feeling that there would be a major disruptive event, a war, a financial meltdown or cybersecurity risk. And you got all three. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out that spooky feeling was we got accurate, Putin, sadly. We had the FTX scandal, and then we also had LastPass get hacked in a major way. So truly all three very unfortunately happen. Yeah, not just FTX, but all markets. I mean, one of the worst years for markets ever. It's I don't know, maybe all of this was obvious at the time, but there was a feeling, I think specifically around all of the frothiness and the excess in the world that there was going to be some sort of backlash against that or some sort of event. I felt that the world was somewhat fragile and prone to experiencing something negative. And it turns out there was a few things that came up this year. Yeah. But I will say that, of course, everything looks clear in hindsight. But if you were to go back to December 2021, when that prediction was made, there was tons of people saying things were frothy, but there was also tons of people being like, yeah, but there could be three more years of this. It was really unclear at that time what would happen. Sure. But I also think that most predictions are just you lick your finger and put it up in the air and you try to see which way the wind's <laughs> blowing. And the people who get it right a number of times in a row, they're often put up on a pedestal in some weird way. And I think that's silly because predicting is really hard and no one can really do it reliably that well. Yeah, actually, Trung Fan, who I used to work with, just sent out a great newsletter 
about tech predictions from some of the most well-known people in technology who, in essence, have created the future, have shaped it. One of them was even from Steve Jobs, who thought that basically like subscription music could never be a thing. So yeah, I, I agree. I think predictions in general, everyone's prone to making good ones and bad ones. And with that said, we're going to give our new predictions. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to share two really quick ones. The first one is about my favorite topic, remote work. And my prediction is people are just going to stop talking about it. There was a wave post-pandemic where everyone's like, are we going to go back to the office? Does remote work work? People are just going to stop asking and work remotely. I think we're already starting to see it. It's less in the news as it was before. And yeah, there will be some conversations about commercial real estate and some companies forcing their employees back. But I actually think it's just going to be a flash in the pan. People are just going to opt into it, at least when we're talking about white collar jobs, because in many cases, it's it's just the way that people prefer. My second quick prediction is with some of the froth disappearing, as we talked about, we're scooping off that top layer of the latte. There's just going to be a lot of reskilling. A lot of people who realize that the skills they bring to the market are less relevant or perhaps irrelevant. And yeah, I think we're going to see a big wave of people who need to figure out what's next. I don't know exactly what form that'll take because I think there were so many disruptive technologies today where it's like, even if you learn to code, I don't know, like, will you still have a job in five years? Yeah, I'm actually feeling that myself where I thought I had a skill set that probably had more longevity than it does now that we've seen some improvements in AI and stuff. And I'm like, oh, what if Google search like SEO, one of my core skill sets goes away in some ways or starts to fade, like things that I thought would take much longer or that would have much more staying power. And it's an interesting thought because it's like, well, what do you do with that? Because when I look at my goal list, I'm like, I want to learn how to cook and draw this year. (laughs) That's not going to make me money, (laughs) but it's going to make me happy. So I don't know. That leads kind of into my prediction, which is I hate saying this because I feel like we're pretty tapped into just the Twitter scene and AI and all these things that are going on. Obviously, there's been some game-changing AI products that have been launched this year. TBD on what those are going to be as it relates to how they infiltrate society and what they actually change. But I think that those initial seeds, whether it's ChatGPT3 or... You got you to gotta stop saying <laughs> ChatGPT3. It's ChatGPT or GPT-3 and GPT-4 is coming out soon. But you always say this. You see, I'm really feeling like a boomer. Like things are, (laughs) I refuse to get on what I call the TikTok and I don't watch any YouTube shorts or anything like that. And I really do think that it's amazing how I've at one point felt tapped into things and now I'm entering boomer status at such an early age. Either way, what I'm saying here is I think the developments in AI will continue to accelerate And there's lots of startups and brainpower and other things going into this. And I think we don't know what's going to happen from that, but it's going to lead to what I think is chaos across technology. So say like the hegemony of companies like Google, that's actually being threatened in a way that I think one of our first 30 episodes, we talked about will Fang still exist in 10 years or something. I think we both would have been really bullish on Google's moat at that point. Nothing relating to investing in the company, but just generally speaking, its dominance in the market. 
But then I think this will bleed into schools as well and politics and media and other places. And I think the big story, the the current thing, if you will, of 2023 will be AI's influence on society. That's probably not a you know unique prediction, which is why I'm hesitant to say it. But I really think we've just seen the beginning and there will be lots of changes. And I think specifically chaos. Chaos? Chaos. You're really That's- leaning into your last year prediction. I actually, I think I'll push back on the chaos part of things. I think AI truly trend of the year going to be game changing. But I think something that we'll see is that similar to my remote work prediction is right now it's like in this big hype cycle, everyone's talking about it. But I think something important to remember is there's a lot of AI built into the tools that we already use. It's not like Google does not have access to artificial intelligence and machine learning. It uses machine learning for its current product. And I think we'll see what happens between ChatGPT and Google. But a good example of where AI is already being developed, but it's just invisible, which is kind of my prediction. There's just going to be a lot of deployment of invisible AI instead of in-your-face AI, is Descript, the editing tool that we use. A lot of people I've seen on Twitter are talking about like, oh, audio AI, can you train an AI to sound like your voice? Descript has had this tool for years. It's called Overdub. You can upload a bunch of your own audio and then you can get the script to create a paragraph or a whole script read by you. But again, it's trained by this AI. So I think that's something that I'm interested to see is how much of the AI developments that happen in 2023 will be in the in-your-face way that we saw in 2022, where it's like, whoa, look at this. It's totally game-changing. Or how many existing companies will just quietly integrate AI into their existing products? Chaos. (laughs) (laughs) My my prediction is calm, (laughs) invisible. Yours is chaos. No, the calm and invisible, that's the internal state. That's the inner love. But I think there will be I really do think that we don't know in the hands of, say, nefarious actors, people who can do things like train the script on your voice, create scripts with chat GPT, and then go out and create things that sound and look like you and, and distribute oh, yeah. those oh, to the world. True. Like That's where I think chaos comes in. And then there's the things like, oh, yeah, can kids use this in schools, which is a topic right now? Or how will this be used to infiltrate politics or election manipulation? And it just... There's so many different ways in which this can integrate to society. I will say one positive prediction, which is not necessarily AI, but I think we'll see some advancements in healthcare this year that will be mind bending. Mm. <laughs> I think the key to predictions, you just leave it. It's like a, a fortune teller. You just use a big broad word. And then a year from now, there will be at least one story to, to capture what you said. Yeah, you just got to be broad. You got to say. It's going to be a big year. It's going to be a big year. It's going to be a big year. I will just respond to your point about your chaos, which I think has merit, which is that this technology has been so swiftly developed and adopted by people. I think there's a graph you can look up where ChatGPT, the speed that it got to, I think it was 10 million users or something like that, was just like way faster than many other household names that you can recognize. And so with that, you're probably going to see a lot of what you might call regulation or rules or adjustments that need to be made. I think I saw that certain things were starting to be banned in China, or maybe things need to be labeled so that people know that they are AI generated. 
ChatGPT was also banned on WeChat. And even the New York City School Board, the school network, had banned ChatGPT recently. So I don't know what the solutions are here. I think we're going to need... We talked about experts before. I think we need some people who are really thoughtful in the realms of law, in the realms of ethics, et cetera, to be thinking about these questions. But yeah, we're going to be in for an interesting year, a big year. A big year. (laughs) All right. I think that's a good place to end it. If you take anything away, just look for a big year ahead and also try to love yourself. We're all on that little journey too. That's my ball of cheese for today. (laughs) That's a nice place to end off. All right. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, even though it's not in our goals of this year. We do want to grow this podcast. We like doing it. And you can help us out by leaving a review, sharing it with a friend, finding us on Twitter. My handle is StephSmithIO. And I'm at Calvin underscore Rosser. And our podcast Twitter account is Sidless, S-Y-D-L-I-S. And look out for some new episodes on stuff, maybe Calvin's book. Maybe we'll disappear again. Who knows? But thanks for listening. (laughs) Until next time.